We're going to discuss something today that uh, every mom deals with, and it's not laundry, and uh, it's not dishes, it's not shopping, uh, it's not any of the stereotypical mom things. In fact, it's not even just a mom thing. It's not really a Mother's Day message. It's something that we deal with uh, certainly in all of our homes, but also uh, we deal with this in every workplace. We deal with this on every uh, team that we're on. We deal with this everywhere we go, including even church. The thing I'm talking about that we deal with, and we deal with probably more than we deal with anything else, and it brings more struggle into our life and strife sometimes and hurt other times. It brings so much into our life and it's constantly surrounding us all the time. It's, it's always waiting around the corner for us, and that is conflict. Conflict is something that we all deal with. Uh, Mindy and I, we do uh, a fair amount of premarital counseling uh, with couples that are getting ready to get married, and we'll meet with them uh, four, five, six, depending on how bad off they are, sometimes eight or 12 times. Um, but we'll, we'll meet with them and and we get to this session about conflict resolution and how to be better communicators with one another when conflict arises. And pretty often uh, we'll say, what are some things that you struggle with uh, in your relationship that cause you conflict? And, and sometimes we'll kind of look at each other and they're like, I don't know, we don't, really, we don't really have that much conflict. And the first thing I think is, man, you are in for it. Like, you, you have no idea what you're in for here. Uh, but then the second thing I say, well, let me, let me reframe this a little bit for you. When we think about conflict, sometimes we think about the, the knockdown, drag out kind of fight where you both go to bed mad when you can't sleep, when you can't eat, and you have this conflict that you just can't resolve, and it's this big thing. But often, it's the small things that really end up making a big difference in our relationships. And when we think about conflict, it's not just the, the big things that come to our mind, but it's the average everyday things often that we encounter as we're living in our different places and spaces in life. And so let's just put a little bit of a working definition up here. And here's kind of how we frame it is conflict is the divide between two perspectives, ideas, preferences, or visit visions of a preferred outcome. All right, the divide between two perspectives. Now, on your seat, hopefully, there's a rubber band near you. Just go ahead and grab that rubber band. And um, as tempting as it will be for you to go back to uh, middle school or maybe elementary and just play with this, and you can do little tricks. You know, you can hold it in one hand like this, unassuming, it's all good. But then when you do this right here, you pull this right here, this is a great weapon for the person next to you. So if I happen to say anything that you want the person next to you to hear, there you go. Like, right, that one's for you. Bam, you know. And so we look at, uh, we look at conflict as the difference in two uh, opposing views or perspectives, okay? So we have one view over here and we have a, another view over here. And conflict is right there in the middle, it's here's, here's what I think, but, but here's what I think. Here's my perspective on what's happening here, and, and here's my perspective over here on this end. Well, here's, here's what I think we should do. No, I think we should do this over here. 
I mean, I think that we should spend our tax return on a great vacation this year, but I think we should get out of debt. And so we have these tensions here. I, I think when it comes to, to church life, I think that we should sing some of the great hymns of uh, our time. And, and, and they're so full of rich doctrine. And I just love them. And when I was younger, they just meant so much to me. And then you have a group that's under about 40. And you're thinking, I don't even know what we're singing. I don't understand the words when we sing hymns. Why aren't we singing something newer? And so we come into church and we have, right, the difference of perspectives. We have the difference of ideas. We have the difference of how things should be done. We have differences on where we're going. We, we won't even get into politics, right? But there's certainly a conflict there when it comes to how we think and how we view things. And I'm over here and you're over here. And what do we do about this? And when we think about the conflict that's there, what happens? This conflict creates tension, Wherever there's conflict, there is tension. Conflict equals tension. I want you to go ahead and grab your rubber band. It may already be in your hand. Grab your rubber band, okay? And I just, however you want to do this, but I just want you to start pulling it apart, okay? And go real slow. Go real slow at first, but then I want, just keep going with it, right? Okay, as you get further and further, you know what happens? You kind of automatically start squinting your eyes because you're wondering, like, when is this thing going to break? Like, when is this tension going to finally give way? And when it does, if you've ever done this before, it's going one way or the other, and one hand is getting taken out. Like, it's going to leave a mark. It's going to hurt. Tension surrounding our conflict does the same thing. And don't we often almost live in that squinty-eyed kind of tension? Like, when is everything going to give here? I just can't seem to meet the expectations that my boss has for me. He thought this project would be done a week ago, and I think it's going to take another month. And so we go to work every day, and we live our lives every day in this tension, wondering when, when are things going to break, and who's, who's going to get hurt in the process? We're late again. We were supposed to be home at five o'clock. We told our wife we would be home at five o'clock. Dinner's ready at five o'clock. It's on the table at five o'clock. And you look down and you see the clock says 5.07 and you wonder, how's this tension going to play out? How's this conversation going to go? You spent how much money on that shirt? How's the tension going to go? You're okay with sending our kids to public school? I always thought we would homeschool. You want me to stay at home with these kids for eight hours every day until you get home? <laughs> it's tension. It's all around us. There's big things. There's little things. When's it going to give? And we live in this tension caused by conflict and this difference of perspective and a different point of view. And eventually, something's got to give. It's either going to break, or we're going to figure out how to come a little closer. Could I, could I maybe see your way a little bit, and, and maybe, maybe you can see my way a little bit, and where there was once lots of conflict and tension, maybe we could come a little closer. 
When we think about conflict, we often think about the thing, right? The conflict. You were late. You, like Donald Trump, like you think fill in the blank. And we have these hot topic issues that we all get really, really passionate about. And we're, we're so passionate about them that they become completely black and white. And it's, this is just the way it is. And if you don't get that, if you don't understand that, then I'm going over here and you stay over here and this is where we'll live. And we get our eyes on the conflict. We get our eyes on what's in front of us. What is this argument really about? And if you've been married for any amount of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that most arguments are over absolutely nothing. You look back a week later and you're like, I remember that we had an argument last week, but what was it about? Because it really just wasn't that big of a deal. But yet it meant so much to us in the moment. And the reason is because conflict isn't really about conflict. It's not really about the thing. It's not really about what she did. It's not really about what he did. It's not really about this ideology. It's not really about the thing. Because there's one thing that all conflict has in common. There's one thing that every single conflict that we have has in common. And that is you. It's people. It's me. It's the conflict between what I think should happen how I see something and how you see something. How you think the story should go down. How you think. It's about what I think over here and what you think over here. And here's how I know that it's more about the person. It's more about people issues than it is the actual conflict issue. Because most of the time it ends with, she makes me so mad. She is so unfair. Well, he just doesn't understand. See, it's all about she doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He makes me. See, it's about people. And all of a sudden, when we step into the people realm, it creates a bunch of messiness. Because we're dealing with people issues and we're dealing with relationship issues and it's not just about the black and white perspectives that we carry. It's about relationship. And so I want to help us to see conflict a little bit differently. What if we could see conflict as an opportunity instead of a threat? What if we could begin to see conflict as not something to just shy away from all the time, not something to be hated because there's just this tension that exists all the time? What if we saw conflict as an opportunity instead of a threat? I remember hearing about a business owner that shortly after 9-11 when the economy crashed and he said that every other company in his industry was pulling back on all of their marketing they were pulling back. They were downsizing. And this particular business owner saw this not as a threat, but as an opportunity. And as a result, that company became one of the biggest ones in the area. 
because they saw the threat as an opportunity. And successful people and advancements in life, they happen when we don't become victim to a threat, but we become overcomers by looking at threats as opportunities. So what is it an opportunity for? It's an opportunity for you and I to step into what God God has called all of us to. Our greatest and highest calling. In fact, it is so high that he said, everything that you've heard about the law and the prophets to this point, when Jesus walked the earth, they were trying to please God. They were trying to honor him. They were trying to relieve the tension between God and man by creating more rules and more regulations and more things that you had to do to be made right with God. And it was found in there where God gave us our highest calling, which was to love him and to love one another. What if we looked at conflict as an opportunity for love to come alive? What if we could recognize it for what it is? We feel the tension growing. We feel the distance moving further apart. We feel, man, she, she wants it this way. He wants it this way. My, my boss wants it like this. I'm not sure I can meet that. I, I have this tension here. We, we feel that and we could recognize it for what it is. Okay, what would happen in this situation if love came alive? If our love for one another came alive in this moment and this was no longer a threat where I have to defend my position, I have to defend what I think I want and what's best, but it became about loving one another because it's a people issue, not a conflict issue. It's a relationship issue, not a conflict issue. What would happen if we viewed conflict as an opportunity for love to rise up on the inside of us and love other people the way that Jesus has loved us. What if it looked different? And as soon as the argument started, it wasn't, I've got to go over here and protect my view. It was, man, how, how do I love the person on the other side the way that Jesus did? What would my attitude look like? What would my words look like? What would my actions look like if I was truly allowing love to come alive in this moment, in this conflict, in this tension? And we could move from here, we're wondering what's going to happen all the way to some breathing room because love came alive. There's a moment of conflict that we read about in Mark where Jesus is with his disciples. And they're making a journey from one city to another. And Jesus begins to tell his disciples what's going to happen to him. Hey guys, I, I, we're, I know we're on this road trip, but let's take this time to have some conversation here because I, I need to make sure that you understand What's going to go down here? What's really going to happen? And so he said, listen, he said, we're, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. 
Verse 34. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. If you can imagine this moment where Jesus is telling them what is about to happen to him. He's, he's knowing what is to come as they're walking to the city in which he'll, he will be taken captive. He's pouring out his heart, if you will. He's putting it all out there. And here's their response. The very next verse. Here's what they say back to him. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came over to him and spoke to the teacher. And they said, hey, can you do us a favor? <laughs> like, oh, I'm sorry about all that dying stuff. But can you do something for us? I mean, yeah, the flogging and the whipping. And man, they're going to spit on you and stuff. I'm really sorry about that, Jesus. But can you do us a favor? And they go on and they say, you know what? When, when you come into your kingdom, I know, I know you're going to die and all that. Really, really sorry about that, Jesus. But, but if you could just do us this favor, could you put one of us on your left and, and another on your right? Could, could we just be at your left hand and your right? Talk about a moment of conflict here. You got one person. You got Jesus describing in detail what's going to happen to him. And then you have Two guys that are supposed to be with you. They're supposed to be your brothers. They're your group. They're your gang. They're your people. And they're only out for what they want. They're only looking to their own interests in that moment. They're only looking out for themselves. I'm sorry about where you're coming from, but what about me? And it says the other 10, they heard what was going on. <laughs> and they were furious. The others heard what was happening in this moment. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you guys? And I don't know if they were upset because they were calling him out like, didn't you just hear what Jesus said? Or maybe they were upset because they weren't going to be on the right and left. What makes the two of you think you're going to be on the right and left? And Peter's like, Guys, I'm going to be on the right and left. Don't even worry about it. I'm going to do both at the same time. And it says they became indignant. And I don't know how much you know about the life of Peter, but one time when he became indignant, he cut someone's ear off. He got his sword out and went for his head, missed his head and got his ear instead. I can imagine the tension was mounting in that moment and Peter might have stepped up on James and John Got in their face, chest to chest. I'm indignant. What is wrong with you? This was a moment of conflict and tension. And here's how Jesus, here's how Jesus handled it. Here's what he said. So Jesus called them together. Guys, <laughs> calm down for a minute. Can, can you gather up here? Let, let's get together. Huddle in, guys. I know you don't even want to stand next to each other right now. Just, just come here. Just listen to me for a minute. I am Jesus. Come here, guys. You know, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. Like you, you know how this works in our world. When you're the boss, you're the boss. When you're the leader, you're the leader. What you say goes and everyone else must comply. 
They lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, guys, I want you to look at me in my eyes right now. But among you, let me tell you, it will be different. You know why? Because love is your highest calling. Not being right, not winning the argument, not pulling someone over to your side and your perspective and what you think should happen and looking out for your own interests. But with, with you, it will be different because I have a calling on you to love other people. In fact, maybe he reminded them of his earlier words where he said, people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love each other. Because I want you to love each other so great. Because I want love to come alive in you so great. It will be different with you. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, for even me. Isn't it cool how Jesus never asked us to do anything that he didn't first model for us? Isn't it cool that even though he was the savior of the world, do you know that he was right in every conversation that he was ever in? Like he could have had the seat in any restaurant where he went in, like call ahead. Hey, I'm on my way. It's Jesus. Get my table ready. Jesus, the son of God. Yes. Like he could have had his way. He could have been about his own interests. But he said, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. As a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus took all of his value. Jesus took all of his worth. Jesus took everything that he was and he leveraged it. He leveraged his value. He leveraged his worth so that we could have some. He leveraged everything that he had, everything he had a right to. He leveraged what we had, what he had. He leveraged the value that he had and became a ransom for many so that we could have value. And in that moment, he taught a great, great lesson that the goal in conflict, the goal in relationship is not the me win, but the we win. How can we leverage who we are? How can we leverage our power in some cases? How can we leverage our, our ability to be right and to think through something in a different way, but yet understand someone on the opposing side as well and take what they have and bring them together to relieve the tension? How could we become not about the me win and what I want and what I think and what I desire What's important to me and become about the we win. Because after all, conflict is an opportunity for love to come alive. We have no need for love without other people. Because who would we love? It's an opportunity for love to come alive. So much so that we're even willing to be wronged. First Corinthians, it talks about lawsuits 
And there were people who were claiming to be Christ's followers. And they were in constant tension with one another because of their offense. And so they were taking each other to court for a judge who may or may not even be a believer to figure this out, who's right and who's wrong. I mean, they allowed their tensions to be so great that they handed it over to someone outside of the faith to handle. And so Paul's giving some instructions and he's saying to them in this moment, even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. It's a defeat for you. There's a bigger picture here. There's a bigger perspective here. It's not about being right. It's not about winning. It's not about whether you have it all together and they don't. It's not about making them low and yourself high. It's even such lawsuits, even being found in the middle of one, it's a loss to you just being there. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? In other words, why not just rather be wronged? For the sake of the relationship. Because is our highest calling to be right? Is our highest calling that we're entitled to be protected? We're not going to let anybody run over us. We're not going to let anyone tell us, you can't talk to me like that. How could you? Are we entitled to that or are we called to love? And Paul says... Wouldn't you just rather be wronged? Wouldn't you just rather be wronged as opposed to destroying a relationship? But wouldn't you just rather become a servant to someone who doesn't deserve it? Because I'm pretty sure we didn't deserve to be served either. I'm pretty sure that Judas didn't earn the right to have Jesus wash his feet let alone any of the other disciples, but he did. Even though he knew he had every right to be offended at the actions of Judas. He had every right to be offended and to tell him off and to tell him how wrong he was, how off base he was, how lost he was. Do you even know what you're doing, Judas? But instead... You know what, for the sake of the relationship, I'm going to allow love to come alive and I'm going to model this for you. I will love my enemy in this moment. Galatians 5, 6, it says, but we who live in the spirit, it's talking about previous to this, it's talking about following the law, following the ways of, of those who set before us how to make ourselves right with God. He said, what, what good is that? What use is it really to try to follow all these laws? Because those of us who now live by the Spirit that Jesus left us, He sent us His Holy Spirit to live in us so that He could live through us. He says, those who now live in the Spirit, we eagerly await to receive the faith, by faith, the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. In other words, it's not as much about right and wrong anymore as you thought it was, but what is important is that faith is expressed in love. It's our faith, it's expressing itself in love. And now, here's where some tension comes in with this conversation. Because there are absolutely black and white issues where we know, we know that God has set certain things out in order to be done a certain way, okay? We know 
that God's plan and his desire and his best, the way he intended a marriage relationship, for example, to be done was between one man and one woman. We know that, okay? We're right, okay? That's a black and white, it's, it's there, okay? But what's important is not just expressing our faith that we have the right answer. We do. We have that faith. I have complete faith, trust, and hope that God's ways are the best ways every single time. No matter what culture thinks, no matter what my feelings tell me, no matter what confusion is there, no matter whether I understand it or I don't understand it, I have full faith that God's ways and the ways that he has planned out are absolutely best. But if my faith allows me to express that faith in a way that is done in an unloving way, then what kind of faith is that? It's not a faith that Jesus planned for us. It's faith It's truth. It's yes, this is God's best. This is what I believe. And we all have to operate at some point under our convictions and under what we believe is right according to the way that God laid things out. I get it. And sometimes the divide is so great that you have to turn and just kind of walk away from that relationship. I get that. That's going to happen. But most of the time, we have the opportunity to express our faith in love or just to express our faith. That's not what it says. Our calling is not to go stand on street corners and post really great things on social media and hold up signs to make sure that we're expressing our faith. It's find a way to do that in love. That's the real faith that we're called to because conflict is an opportunity for love to come alive. Philippians 2, it says, don't be selfish. <laughs> don't try to be, isn't it, isn't it interesting? Like he's writing to a church. He's writing to people who are followers of Christ. And it sounds so much like us today too, right? Like don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In other words, think of others as more important than you. I'm not talking about value, okay? Yes, we all have equal value in the eyes of God. Black, white, old, young, rich, poor, all that stuff, okay? We're all equal. But we've all been in rooms where we weren't the most important person in the room, right? Anybody been to a wedding and you wonder when you come in and take your seat, no one stands up, but all of a sudden someone in a white dress shows up and everyone in the room stands? Why? Because they're the most important person in the room. Why is it that after your favorite concert, there's no line waiting for you to sign an autograph? Because you're not really the most important person in the room in that moment. What if the person that we were in conflict with, what if the people that we were living with, what if the people that we were working with, what if the people that we were playing on a team with, what if these people became the most important person in the room to us? What if love came alive in such a great way that we were able to love others in spite of our differences? Now, they're there. There's conflict there. There's, there's perspective there. But, but maybe, if, maybe if I'm considering you as a little more important than me, maybe, maybe I could come your way again a little bit. And, and maybe in our marriage, the, the wife could come the husband's way a little bit and the husband could come the wife's way a little bit and our homes could be a little bit more relaxed like this. 
instead of like this? Our workplace could become a little more like this instead of like this? What if we could put so much value on the life of another that what was important to them is what became important to us? What was valuable to them is what became valuable to us. If honoring their preferences and their way and their will and their desires became more important than our own, what would that look like? I think it would look a lot like Jesus. But he he continues to say in verse 6, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He humbled himself all the way to giving up everything. And in our conflict, the ultimate moment that we often want to get to in our flesh is the I told you so moment. I told you I was right. I told you it was going to end up like this. I told you, didn't I? The only I told you so that Jesus ever had was, I told you that I would go all the way for you. I told you that in spite of the fact that you were ungodly, that you were unclean, that you were a mess up every single time, that you couldn't do anything on your own apart from me, I told you that I would come all the way your way and I would let love come alive in you because of me. I told you, I told you I would do it. As our servers are coming this morning to serve communion, could we just acknowledge for the next few moments as we receive communion, as we receive and we recognize the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made for us when he laid down his will, when he laid down his desires, when he laid down what was comfortable for him, when he laid down his right to be right. And he said, I will come all the way your way. I told you I would do it. And I did. I became the greatest servant among you. What if this morning as we received the incredible gift and sacrifice of Jesus to come all the way our way, we could just make that commitment in our hearts from this day forward. I'm going to do my very best to allow God to allow me to respond to him in such a way that I respond with love for my brothers and my sisters, with love for those who are outside of our faith, who need to know him in such a way that they see me love them the way that Jesus loves me. What if we couldn't help but respond to this moment? What if we couldn't help but respond to what Jesus has done for us? but to do it for others. Would you join me this morning at the tables as we recognize the fact that Jesus humbled himself and he laid it all down for us. He said, I told you so. I told you I would do it.